Good to see you on this beautiful West Tennessee day where we've experienced all four seasons in about, you know, three or four days. I hope you enjoyed the, the snow. I was terrified when it came and rejoicing when it left. Um, so we could be together this morning. Um, I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue in our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. This morning, we're going to be talking about the value of the kingdom. Jesus told many parables about what the kingdom of God is like. And so this morning, we're going to look at um, a pair of twin parables in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 45. Now, when Jesus tells parables about the kingdom, you need to know that from the beginning of his ministry, he was out preaching about the kingdom. Jesus was here preaching about the inauguration of God's kingdom. He was saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the reason the kingdom of God was at hand while Jesus was preaching was because God's king was at hand. The king of God's kingdom is present in the Lord Jesus. And so as he went about preaching um, that the gospel, that the gospel, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and that the kingdom was near and at hand, Jesus' point was that the kingdom of God is a present reality for believers. It's a present reality that God's kingdom is near. It is at hand. But at the same time, the kingdom is also a future reality. There will come a day when Jesus will return and he will rightfully rule and reign over all things. So Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God, but there's something you need to know. God's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, isn't like any other kingdom in the world. It's not based on race or ethnicity, geographic location, language. It's not based on culture or political affiliation or preferred government system. That's not Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is based on repentance and faith. It's not based on military or political conquest. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And it is present, hear this, Jesus' kingdom is present in any place where he rules in the hearts and minds of his people. So this morning, you need to know that in this place as we gather, the kingdom of God is present. It is at hand because every New Testament church is an outpost of God's kingdom in this world as we gather to glorify King Jesus and we live as his representatives right now. Now, again, unlike the other kingdoms of this world, when Jesus comes preaching about the kingdom, as we heard um, from the Beatitudes that Brother Cooper read for us earlier from Matthew 5 and 7, Jesus' kingdom is based on a whole new set of ideals, a whole new set of values and principles that are completely contrary to our natural, sinful, and selfish inclinations. Jesus' kingdom is upside down and inside out from everything else that we would naturally think or feel. Listen, uh, remembering what, what Cooper read, but listen to what else Jesus said back at the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Speaking of those that are part of his kingdom. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, for those in the kingdom, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then he says this as you skip on down. He says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And this is what he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He says, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then as you skip to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up instead treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So think about this. In God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, we are salt. We are light. We love even our enemies, and we don't live simply for this world, but for the one that is to come. Now, that's important context for Matthew 13 as we read our twin parables for this morning. So look over at Matthew 13, verses 44 and 45. Two, uh, two, uh, uh, in my opinion, two of the most challenging parables that Jesus ever told. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now this pair of parables is uh, unique to Matthew as Mark and Luke do not record them. But before we study what they share in common, I want to point out what the differences are at the very beginning. Two very simple, short, little parables that Jesus tells about a man stumbling across a treasure in a field and a merchant seeking a pearl of great price. What do they, we, we're going to study what they have in common, but I want to point out two differences really briefly. Number one, in the first parable, in the first parable, the man who finds the treasure in the field, he isn't looking for it. That is the main difference you need to know right at the beginning. The man isn't looking for it, right? He, he stumbles upon it accidentally. You could say he's basically won the lottery, but that's not true. That's not the right image. Why not? In order to win the lottery, you have to buy a ticket. You buy a ticket in the hopes of winning the prize, though you're probably not going to. Don't want to break that to you. Probably not going to happen. But at the same time here, this man doesn't buy a ticket. He has no hope or expectation of finding a treasure in the field. This means that some people, hear me, some people stumble upon the kingdom of God by accident. 
Some people stumble upon the kingdom, at least from their perspective. They would say, I wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus found me. Now, we know that God is sovereign. We believe that God is sovereign. He's working all things out according to his good pleasure. But from the perspective of this man, he wasn't looking for the treasure, um, and he stumbled upon it. He stumbles upon Jesus. We would say that the Apostle Paul is an example of this. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He knew who Jesus was, and he hated him. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking to destroy those who follow Jesus. So Paul would never have said, I'm going to Damascus to find Jesus. That's not what he was doing. But Jesus found him anyway. And the same is true for how some of you in this room became believers. You weren't looking for Jesus, but one day you heard the gospel and Jesus became compelling. He might have been under dire circumstances. It might have been under something like this. But you're going about your own business, living your life your own, your own way, and you stumble upon the truth of the gospel. And in that case, Isaiah 65.1 is fulfilled. Listen to what Isaiah 65.1 says. He says, I was ready. This is, by the way, a, this is a messianic section of Isaiah. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. That's, G, that's the Jesus of the Bible. He's ready to be found even by those who don't look for him. He's ready and able. So maybe here it could be the same for some of you today that don't have a relationship with Jesus right now. You could be in this room right now and you have no particular desire for Jesus. You don't even have any curiosity for him. You might even come here every Sunday only because your family brings you. I know that was the case when I was a teenager. I came because my parents made me, but I didn't have no particular fondness or curiosity about Jesus. I, or maybe you're here because you just grew up coming to church, but this morning, Jesus is standing in front of you, and you have to deal with his words right here. So some people stumble upon the kingdom. Second thing that you need to know is that in the second parable, the man searching for a pearl of great price is carefully and diligently searching for what he knows to be valuable. He is diligently seeking and searching. So some find the kingdom by stumbling upon it carelessly in a field, and others find it by carefully searching and looking. I would use Martin Luther or C.S. Lewis as an example, who both, who both applied themselves to studying the scriptures and searching for truth with all of their heart. And Jesus describes these kinds of people in Luke 11. Listen to what Jesus says here. He tells another little parable in Luke 11 about those who diligently search for the kingdom. He says this. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. You get the picture? Your neighbor knocks on your door in the middle of the night. Dun, 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 dun. Give me bread. All right. Friend, lend me three loaves. And he gives a reason. For another friend has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to give him. And he says, and he will answer from within, do, do not bother me. The door is now shut. 
That's a biblical answer if somebody knocks on your door in the middle of the night. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. Okay? Look what he says. He says, the door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot give up and give anything to you. He says, I tell you, though he will not, and give, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So Jesus' point is, I'm not going to give you bread because you're my friend. I'm going to give you bread because you were stupid enough to come knock on my door in the middle of the night. It's because he was imprudent. So Jesus applauds those who imprudently and unashamedly ask, seek, and knock. And Jesus makes it clear that he's the one they're ultimately seeking. Jesus says in John 10, I am the door. He who enters by me will be saved and go out and find pasture. Knock here, Jesus says. Knock here. Seek here. Look here here. Some stumble into the kingdom accidentally and some find it by seeking diligently. But now let's look at what they have in common. Here's my main points this morning. I have three of them. Number one, as we look at our text this morning, there are three things we can learn about the kingdom. And here it is. Number one, those who find the kingdom, those who find it, whether it's accidentally or whether it is on purpose, those who find the kingdom recognize the value of what they find. They recognize the value of what they find. This is what happened to Paul when he met Jesus. He was given a new accounting system by which he measured everything else. If you remember from our study of Philippians, Paul gives some of his testimony in chapter 3, and he says this, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, I was everything anybody would hope to be in Judaism. But then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he says, and compared to everything else, Jesus is more valuable. Whatever education I had, whatever, whatever um, leg up I had on my contemporaries, whatever education I had, whatever pedigree I had, whatever name I had, when I put that on the scales next to Jesus, Jesus far surpasses it. He knows what he's found. He knows what he's found. Notice the language of Paul. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. That's Jesus' point in the parable. Whether it's the man who stumbles upon a treasure in the field, or whether it's a merchant seeking a fine pearl, when they find it, they know what it's worth. Those who find the kingdom know the value of what they found. Second truth. Those who find the kingdom 
are determined to have it. Not only do they know the worth of what they found, they are determined to have it. They will not be denied. They will move heaven and earth, if possible, to obtain the treasure. Look at, look at what it says, right? Both of these men in the parable know the value of what they find. Jesus describes this kind of determination in Matthew 11. Listen to what he says there. He says, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, Jesus isn't commending violence. What he's saying is those who are determined to have the kingdom will do whatever it takes to get into it. They will do whatever it takes. So look at back at our text at these two people. The man seeking pearls, look at him. The man seeking pearls has studied pearls. He has searched for them enough to be a merchant in the pearl market. He has ships. He has docks. He has employees. He has clients. He knows pearls. And he knows exactly what he's looking for. The other man, possibly a peasant sharecropper, probably at the other end of the economic spectrum, he still knows treasure when he finds it. He might be a Tennessee fan looking for a national championship. That's what he's looking for in the field. But that field would be a little further south and east. Maybe in Alabama or Georgia. That's funny, folks. But what he does know is he knows treasure. He knows what it's, when he sees it, he knows what it is. No matter who he is, he knows what it is. Now, no matter what qualms, ethical qualms, you might have with this field worker, those don't matter. You see, the field belongs to another. And if the owner of the field knows about the treasure, he's welcome to remove the treasure before he sells the field. If he doesn't know it's there, that's not the fault of the man who found it and wants to buy the field. It would be the same today as someone selling a piece of property and the new owner finding a diamond mine on the property. Nothing you can do about it. At any rate, Jewish law of the day held that any money found scattered anywhere, anywhere belonged to the one who found it. So there's no ethical qualms here. You might say, well, this guy shouldn't be trying to buy the field with his money if there's a treasure in it. That's not Jesus' point, and those don't matter. The point here is that neither of these men will find a treasure and walk away from it. Nobody finds a treasure and walks away from it. That's the point. Only a fool would do that. And that is Jesus' point. These men will do whatever it takes to obtain the treasure. They will sell all that they own, knowing that the treasure they have found is more valuable than anything else they have. And they will take practical steps to demonstrate their desire to obtain it. They'll take practical steps. One man, in his the first man in his joy, sells all that he has to buy the treasure, to buy the field. The second man sells everything he has to buy the pearl of great price. Listen, imagine this. Listen, as they take these steps to, to obtain their treasure... It affects those around them. 
It affects people around them. Think about the first man. Imagine the first man going home to inform his family that he's going to sell all that they have to buy a field. Honey, I'm selling it all. All of it. Everything we have. Because I want that field. And his family thinks him crazy. Because the field isn't worth what he's willing to pay for it. But his family doesn't know what he knows. His family doesn't know that he is convinced that the treasure in the field far surpasses the value of his possessions. In the same way, the merchant goes home. Goes, to, goes home and he informs his family. He informs his employees and clients. He's selling all that he has for this one pearl. Not millions of pearls one one pearl and they deride him as a fool now here both of these men both of these men this is what the kingdom of heaven is like jesus said that both of these men are willing to part with their possessions and bear up under the scrutiny and even the possible persecution of those around them because they know the treasure is worth it they know it's worth it. The disciples had done the same thing. They had counted the cost to follow Jesus. Listen to what Jesus tells them. It says, Jesus said to their disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they said, who can be saved then? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But the first will be last and the last will be first. You see, part of this parable is teaching you that if you're, that if you're going to obtain the kingdom, you have, to have, you have to do whatever it takes to get it. If that means selling everything I have, if that means getting a new accounting system for my life, if that means taking practical steps, those who desire the kingdom will do whatever it takes to obtain it. That's what Jesus says. They are determined to have the kingdom, but they'll leave something else behind that I dare, I, I want to say here. Those who are determined to have the kingdom will also leave behind their sins. This is the definition of repentance. It's not simply being willing to part with stuff but also being willing to part with sin. I will give up my own self-righteousness, my own self-reliance, my own self-centeredness if I can only have Jesus. If I can have Him, all of that will go to the wayside. I'm willing to be crucified with Him and walk with Him on the road to Calvary, deny myself, take up my cross and follow Him because He's worth it. And that is the choice laid before every person when contemplating following Jesus. You can have Christ, and you can have His kingdom, 
but you must value it above yourself, above your stuff, and above your sin. Now here's the plain truth. This is the plain truth that Jesus is laying before you this morning. The kingdom of heaven is worth sacrificing everything to obtain. The kingdom of heaven is worth sacrificing everything to obtain. Jesus is king. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus is always worth following. Jim Elliott famously said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, his life. To gain what he cannot lose, Jesus. Only a fool would hold on to what he can't keep, which is this life. To give up what he could not lose, which is eternal life. Listen, as Jesus' disciples, we follow him and we are willing to sacrifice all for, his, for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his honor, and for the sake of his renown. And the kingdom will cost us all that we have, but it's worth it. So those who desire, those who find the kingdom are determined to have it. And here's the third truth, and here is the good news the gospel news for us this morning. Number three, those who value the kingdom like these, obtain it. Do you notice what's this, what these two men have in common? One stumbles upon the kingdom. He's not looking for it. But in his joy, he sells all that he has because he's determined to have it. The second man knows exactly what he's looking for. And he'll sell everything he has to get it. He knows exactly what he wants. But the truth is, what happens to both of them? They both find it. And they both obtain it. They both get the kingdom. The gospel point that we must remember here is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, entrance into that kingdom cannot be bought. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? The kingdom cannot be bought. The point of this parable isn't simply sell what you have and buy God's forgiveness. Sell what you have and buy citizenship in this kingdom. No, the point isn't that the owner of the field was willing to sell. Or that the owner of the pearl just wanted money. No, no, no. God's word is crystal clear here. Listen to Isaiah 55. Come everyone who thirsts. This is an invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. That's what Jesus says. Come to me. What I'm, I'm not selling this. I'm giving it away. And look at how the book of Revelation closes with this promise. This is the very, some of the last words in your Bible. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The point isn't to seek to buy your salvation. The point is that those who value the kingdom, here it is, guys, you have to get, you have to get this. If you haven't gotten anything else I've said, hear this. The point 
is that for those who value the kingdom, for those that are willing and determined to have it, no matter the cost, God is more than willing for you to have it. God is willing to give it to you freely. That is the good news of the gospel. There is no one who comes to Christ that will be turned away. Amen? There is no one who comes to Christ by faith who will be cast out. There is no one who stumbles upon the kingdom and longs for it that will be turned away. There is no one who knows exactly what they're looking for and they find it in Jesus that will go away empty-handed. Now here's my conclusion. The question is, how do we actually enter this kingdom? How do we enter the kingdom? The simple answer is to respond to Jesus like the man who finds him in the field. And to, or to respond like the man who knows exactly what he's searching for with the pearl. Now Matthew has spent his entire gospel showing us how to enter the kingdom and live for the kingdom. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. So, if you're going to enter the kingdom, you have to recognize that Jesus is king. You have to recognize that Jesus is Lord and that you need Him. You have to recognize your accountability to Him because of our sin and our unrighteousness. You need a righteousness that you yourself cannot provide. And that righteousness only comes through faith in Christ. So you repent of your sins, believe the gospel. And when you repent and believe, your sin is placed on Jesus. And his righteousness on you. And this gift of forgiveness is priceless. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we acknowledge Christ. We repent and believe and we identify with him publicly. We saw a wonderful testimony of that this morning through baptism. Baptism doesn't save anybody. What it does, it says, I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. I have died and rose again with Christ, and one day I will die and I will rise again with Him. That's what we do. We acknowledge Him. And if you belong to Him and He is your treasure, then you will make that known in your joy. Now let me wrap this up. Here it is. When Jesus says... Sell all of your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. You say, yes, Lord, it is my joy to serve you and love you. My material possessions are nothing compared to the riches of your kingdom and glory. Or when Jesus says, you must love me more than your father or mother or your sister or your brother, you say, yes, Lord, I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny his cross let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You say, yes, Lord, I will follow you to Calvary and to the ends of the earth for the glory of your presence, for the glory of your name and the joy of your presence. And I want to say here, this is why we share the gospel. Jesus told us to take the seed of the gospel and spread it irregardless of the soil. 
This means that we never know the hearts or the spiritual condition of those with which we share. You can share the gospel and they can be like the first man. They're just going about their business without a care for Jesus or his kingdom. But when you share the gospel of the kingdom, they rejoice and come running after Jesus. And you get to see it. Or you could share the gospel and they could be like the merchant. And what they say to you is, this is what I've been longing for my whole life. I've been looking for peace and joy and forgiveness and meaning and purpose. And I haven't found it anywhere. I've looked at it in money, I've looked at it in relationships, I've looked for it in all these other religions and self-made, um, self-made culture, but Jesus gives me what my heart has longed for. You never know, but you get to be a part as you share the gospel. This morning, I just want to ask you as we close, do you know Jesus? He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price, and he's worth following. This morning, if you've never come to Jesus, only a fool would not recognize the treasure in front of them. Come to Jesus. This morning, if you're a believer, then maybe you need to, you need to renew your commitment to say, Jesus, everything I have belongs to you, and the kingdom is most valuable to me, and I will follow you. And lastly, I always want to say this. If you're here this morning, and, and God is calling you into missions or into ministry, what I had to settle in my own heart was that Jesus is worth following. If you would have told me when I was 18 that I'd be standing in front of this church opening the Bible and explaining it to people, I'd have told you you were crazy. I had, to, I had to settle it in my own heart that Jesus is worth following. That's what every missionary decides. That no matter who else goes with me, I'm going to follow Jesus because he's worth it. That's whether you stay here in Huntington or whether you go to the ends of the earth. But if Jesus is calling, you respond this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts. And Father, may we recognize Jesus this morning. Father, for those that do not know him, I pray that they would see him clearly and they would come to him by faith. For the rest of us, Father, I pray we would renew our commitment to walk with Jesus no matter the cost. No matter if we have to be ridiculed by our friends and family, no matter if it makes us look foolish in the eyes of the world, Father, may we follow Jesus. And Father, for others, I pray you would set them apart for the sake of the gospel among the nations, that you would send laborers into the harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name.